Hello and welcome to the Aussie Nerds podcast. This week I'm with Matt and we're going to talk about his favourite movie, The Dead Poet Society. Matt, you love rebel poets. <laughs> I do, as it turns out. All throughout this entire thing, I'm like, this is really good and I like everything that's happening. But also the idea of there being an underground secret poetry society is inherently funny. <laughs> it is. And what's funny is they, uh, the, the actual Dead Poet Society itself in the movie is almost, it's like a minuscule portion of it. Like the actual meetings, everything like that. And it's almost never played for as, as this prestigious thing while they're doing it. It's, it's a secret book club. And <laughs> which is, there's, so many ways to go around this, but it, the fact that it's just a rebel poet is so good. And I was reminded about <laughs> Patch Adams with this. Mm, yes. But the, <laughs> but the reason this works and Patch Adams didn't is because this is about poetry, which is creative, and Patch Adams is stupid. <laughs> so that's, that's apt. Uh, it's... Uh, Patch, I only saw Patch Adams the one time when it came out, so my knowledge of that is is pretty vague. But it it came in a long line, which I don't. I know that Dead Poet Society didn't start, but was pretty much perfected with Dead Poet Society, which is here's this thing I like to do, but I like to do it crazy, and <laughs> and, some, and and you know the the sheriff, whoever that is in the movie, going, you can't do that. <laughs> and Robin Williams most of the time going watch me and that's pretty much that's pretty much the standard and he did it several times even before Dead Poets Society Good Morning Vietnam was him saying look at how I do this crazy <laughs> which is which is great and I I really love Dead Poets Society and uh up until the um the middle bit happens with the kid that wants to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I forget all of their names, but um, <laughs> his dad. I've seen it. I've seen it a hundred times, and I forget all of their names, he, so he, it's fine. <laughs> his dad wants him to go to medical school, yeah. and I'm like, that's the guy that plays Wilson on House. Yes. So right up, Which... in, right up until um, what happens to him, I'm like. And then he goes to medical school. <laughs> House is like an alternate reality. Like there's there's the point there's there's a point I'm sure you can pinpoint in that movie where where he decides to listen to uh, his dad, goes to medical school, becomes Wilson, and then there's the branch it actually takes. So it's like a House is like a weird alternate reality of this movie. <laughs> It's <laughs> all throughout, right up until um, the that happens in the middle. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then he joins house. <laughs> yeah, it made the film much. It made the film enjoyable on like a meta level. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Robin Williams um, plays the uh, moral compass who teaches people how to be creative. And then um, the authority, and then goes against the authority and makes a speech at some point uh, really well. But I, I, looked up, I looked it up and that happens like a few times, like with Jack and a bunch of crap movies in like the 90s. But I think all of those were trying to recreate Dead Poet Society. I, I think so too. I think this movie set the gold standard for the, for the, and I'm not saying it's the first one, and I don't, and, and of course, it obviously wasn't the last. This was a major theme in the 90s movie, in 90s movies. But I think it set the gold standard of, this is my empowering speech as the music swells, and you're going to listen to me, whether, you know, you don't, you don't like what I'm doing, but you, you know, this is what I'm doing, and this is, this is how it's done. I, I think that 
it's been done so many times that it's a trope now. But I think that this movie set that standard that was copied so many times since. This this does feel like it's the template to at least ten movies that I've seen. Uh, at least five Robin Williams movies. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is a template. And, you know, I think that speaks to the power of it. And going back to it, I, I've, I've obviously had many people go back and watch the movie and they all love it, but they all go, hey, this is kind of like this other movie. I'm like, yeah, but this movie came out, that movie came out a lot, a long time after this movie. Like, you understand why it's like this movie. It's emulating this movie. Like, yeah. It's like the first time I saw Dirty Harry. Did I see yeah. Dirty Harry or did I see every cop movie ever? Right. It, it, it's true. It's, uh, Dirty Harry is a great example of, by the time, especially if you didn't, you know, obviously I think you and I are both too young to have seen it in 1970, whatever, when it came out. So by the time you're old enough to see Dirty Harry, you've seen you've seen 20 movies that have either directly spoofed it or have taken things from it that by the time you watch it, you go, okay, so that's where that's from <laughs> more than, more than uh, enjoying the movie. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting aspect of classic film. I think. Um, the, the reason that we uh, will never get like an American remake of, um, oh, what's that? What's that movie? With the kids that kill each other. Um, the kids that kill each other? Lord, what? Well, no. Uh, and it's uh, it's part of a game, but it's not Hunger Games. Oh, uh, Battle Royale. Yeah. The reason we won't get a uh, an American remake of Battle Royale is because people think it's a Hunger Games ripoff. Exactly. Even though Battle Royale came out first. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's true and i think that's a good thing <laughs> honestly um, it's yeah. like <laughs> I just... especially especially when you look at movies that have been remade into american films like a great example is death at a funeral where they made it so close to that uh, to the, the original film coming out and when the new one came when the remake came out and it was basically identical down to peter dinklage played the dwarf in it that <laughs> that you're like, why does this even exist? Just tell everyone about this other one. It's great. It's already great. I don't know why they have to speak in a different accent. Like, that's literally the only difference. The, um, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, the movie Death Note um, was based on the anime. And it's mm -hmm. like, You've just taken the original and made it whiter. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a whole separate issue, I think. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't, in some cases, remakes, I get them, especially if it's been a while or you have something new to say. For instance, True Grit, the Coen brothers remade True Grit in a way that it was, that it was a completely, it, it, it was true to the original, but it was a completely different experience watching it that it, it made it, it made it worth watching uh, you know, that, that remake. I feel like if you're going to remake things, you should always have something new to say or a new, a new way to look at the subject matter. Otherwise just tell people to go watch the other one. Like that's, and I get that studio is not making money telling somebody to go watch the other one. That's, <laughs> that's really where it is. But yeah. Uh, like Magnificent Seven is a remake of Seven Samurai. Let me, let me tell you about Magnificent Seven. Um, okay. Because that new one that came out, um, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, with the Chris Pratt and, and all those guys. When I saw a trailer for that, I was actually disappointed because I had this idea a long time ago mm -hmm. that I feel like uh, Magnificent Seven or the Seven Samurai remakes should reflect the, our time, like what movies are popular in our time. So Seven Samurai was great. And, you know, uh, Kuros Kurosawa was making great, you know, was had the, all of his like samurai movies and they, he was huge and those were very popular. Magnificent Seven comes out. Westerns are, you know, where it's at. Uh, the, 
everybody loves westerns at that time you know westerns are probably one of the most popular genres if not the most popular genre at the time so when i saw that trailer i'm like why not make a great magnificent set or seven samurai superhero movie to reflect yeah. Yeah, to reflect um, our time what is most popular right now and yeah. then in 20 years or 30 years whatever you know my kids are watching uh, which I'm for sure not going to understand and be like, why do you watch all those movies? Because I, I assume it's all cyclical and I will be like my grandparents who <laughs> don't understand what I, why I watch what I watch, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, in 30 years, you can make remake, you know, the I'm sure people dressed up as animals version of, uh, of, of Seven Samurai or whatever will be popular in 30 years. <laughs> yeah, you can just bring a team together, led by Chris Pratt, um, <laughs> of people, criminals yeah. probably, uh, that don't want to be together and don't like each other, and they can save the galaxy. I guess they could be there. Sure, and that guy, it, could, it could be the it could be the world. It could be a town. You know, it's it's yeah. As they far as be... what they're saving is not as important as you're you're telling this story from a new point of view. Yeah, they could, that's what's important. They could like be the um, some sort of guardians, but not of the world, but of the <laughs> galaxy. I see where you're going now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what are we, some kind of guardians of the galaxy? That's, <laughs> um, that's oh, the best yeah. line ever. <laughs> oh, uh, man. That was mean to death. It was great. <laughs> uh, have you? Uh, I I bet you've seen a lot of um, Robin Williams. Yes, I I was I was I was born at the exact right time for this to happen. I was born in 1984, so by the 90s I was at prime movie watching age, especially Robin Williams movies watching age. So, like, and you know that'll when when whenever we get to it, that'll go into you know how why this movie found me and affected me, but. Go ahead. Do yes. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk about Robin Williams a little bit here for a second. Uh, sure. When I when I was growing up, we didn't we didn't really have uh, TV like we we did. We had an antenna uh, for a good portion of my life, which meant we got like six channels, and it was, you know, it was the n local national channels and. So, you know, I got to see most of that, but cable wasn't really a big thing and, and we didn't have very much, but there were always reruns of things. So Mork and Mindy was a show that was, that reran a lot in my house along with 1960s Batman. Um, so that was my first introduction to Robin Williams. Then as, you know, the nineties went on, there was a bunch of Robin Williams movies that came out. Mrs. Doubtfire was a, was a big one. Um, uh, I, I had seen Good Morning Vietnam by that point. Um, and then Aladdin, he was the genie. And like, so he was a huge staple of, of my childhood. And uh, I'll uh, mention this as well. During the time, I would say when I was around 10 years old, we didn't have, we didn't have TV at all. We didn't even have an antenna. Like we only watched movies. So my mom, on Friday nights, she worked, she was a single mom, worked two jobs, three at some points. Every Friday night, she would take us to the video store, let us each, me and my sister, let us each rent a movie. She'd rent a couple movies. We'd all watch the movies. I'd, get, I'd watch the adult movies with her as well, the, the grown-up movies with her. Um, we'd get a pizza. It was, it, it really shaped kind of who I am today with, with my love of movies. I, I definitely wouldn't, because movies my biggest passion the film is my biggest passion and i would not be the case if my mom hadn't made sure that that you know that we that we did that every single week just to make sure that we were enjoying our lives because you know we were a poor family single parent no tv it was it was uh it could have been rough but she made it great for us um so we would rent movies and we rent a lot of uh uh, Robin Williams, I remember specifically, we went and saw Mrs. Doubtfire in the movie theater, and then it felt like it took forever for that movie to come out on video. And we'd like go, like after a few months, we'd go to the video store every month and just, or every week and be like, did this, did it come in yet? 
no, it's coming in whenever. Did it come in yet? No. You know, we felt like we waited forever. Uh, but I watched that movie. I wore that tape out, Mrs. Doubtfire. I loved that movie. Um, but I remember always seeing the cover, the case for Dead Poet Society at the video store when I was perusing movies, pretending like I wasn't going to rent Terminator 2 for the 12th time, <laughs> which I was, I was definitely going to do was rent Terminator 2 for the, for the however many a time. Um, but I never watched it, and it did not appeal to me at 8, 10, however old I was at the time, because um, that was like a three, four-year period in our lives. Um, I, I, would see the ta- I would see the video there. Didn't look like it appealed to me, because the cover was just that scene with the boys lifting him in the air. Uh, right after they played soccer. So I was like, okay, boys in sweaters. This looks like a sports movie. I don't, it does not interest me. <laughs> this is the, t- the, the, the title, Dead Poet Society, would have given it, okay. probably going to give a giveaway. This is not uh, a sports movie. Yeah. But there was also another movie that came out around that time in my life, which was called Dead Presidents, which was like a gang, like a gangster movie, but like an inner city gangster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe I conflated that as well. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't seem like it's for me. I, uh, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially for, for a kid, you know, I don't, I'm at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm building my film knowledge and I'm, you know, building my taste and, and, you know, into what it is today, but at the time I'm just a kid. So it's like, I don't, if, if, if it's not something that immediately grabs me, then yeah, I'm probably going to pick something else, which is why, again, I rented Terminator 2 so many times. We should have bought it. We bought a lot of movies. I cannot tell you to this day why we didn't just own Terminator 2, because I rented it a lot. <laughs> I don't, I don't, because we, because mom, my mom had a subscription to Columbia House where you would, um, you would sit, they would send you like 12 movies, you'd send them a penny, and then they'd be like, but you just got to buy a movie in the next, uh, you know, six months or whatever uh, at full price we'd buy the movie at full price send in another thing with a different name get another 12 movies for a penny but yeah so we had a lot of movies uh gaming that system (laughs) it'd be really cool if they still did that but i think i think they i can't i can't imagine they uh made a lot of money that way because i guarantee i know for a fact a lot of people did that same thing we did um, and you know, that was back before you had a credit card on file for, for any of those type of, uh, subscription services as well. So yeah, even if you didn't buy that, that other movie, what are they going to do? They're going to send you a letter saying, Hey, don't forget to buy this movie. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so anyway, back to what I was saying. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 uh, loved Robin Williams. I watched basically everything that that I would find out he was in and you know he was at the time making a lot of movies that were friendly for me hook I loved hook hook is great I understand and I don't care I what underst- anyone says yeah see that's the thing it's like that I can I can only assume is from my point my childlike eyes remembering that movie because everybody says it's terrible I'm sure it is it's not I just it's don't dark. remember that yeah it's not <laughs> terrible it's dark and the story's a bit weird and stupid. But, yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, the story's dumb and bad, but the characters are great, and Hook and Smee are that movie. Bob Hoskins as Smee is still one of my favorite on-screen characters of all time. That was brilliant casting, and I, I still love that. I, I quote Smee still to this day. Uh, Bob Hoskins is me. It's amazing. It's so weird and dark. And um, every time Hook is on screen, I'm like, yes, this is the best movie. And then when he's <laughs> not on screen, I'm like, this is the worst movie. <laughs> well, I mean, Rufio, Rufio, at Rufio. least back then, was one of the coolest dudes ever. Yeah. I, I think played, on rewatches, um, I understand. But <laughs> back then, he was awesome. And he played Zuko in Avatar. <laughs> oh, dude, he did. Yeah. yeah, I see him. I see him pop up every once in a while, and I'm like, "It's Rufio," and then I just forget that he's in it because <laughs> I think he'll always. I think he'll always be Rufio to me, and probably to the world. That's probably why we don't see him in a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's um, it's great. 
I, I love Hook. <laughs> um, so when I'm 13, mm-hmm. when I turn 13, uh, not when I turn 13, but I'm 13, I'm visiting my uncle. My uncle Mike is my, one of my favorite people in the world. I'm now married and have kids, so I don't think I can say my favorite people in the world anymore, my favorite <laughs> person in the world anymore. But back then, absolutely, hands down, my favorite person. Um, I went over to his house, and he had a copy of Dead Poets. Um, so this is 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 13 years old. Uh, I'm like, oh, hey, this, I've, I've seen this cover. And he's like, oh, you have never seen this movie. You have to watch it. And so we sat down, and we watched Dead Poets Society. And it has been my favorite movie since that moment. Nice. That was when it became my favorite movie. Nothing has ever knocked it off out of, out of there. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I realize right now, because I just said it's, it was 1997. That movie came out in 1989. That movie was only eight years old when I watched it. But I still think about this classic relic he showed me. This old, <laughs> old movie that he showed me. I'm realizing... It was only eight years old when I watched it. That's like, that's like me showing my son Thor today, which oh. I think is about eight years old. Yeah. yeah, like that is not very long. But to me back then, it was it was like wow, this old movie. And it, you know, it's set in the fifties. I think nineteen fifty nine is when it's set. I think so. Uh, so that could... have um, think so. I don't remember any context clues. Oh, I, I do. Uh, I do know. I do know how we know because um, the. Uh, the um, dean of the school or whatever uh, says 100 years ago in 1889 or 1859. And I think that's the only clue what year it is. But I do remember he says 100 years ago in 1859. And that's, that's really all the exposition you get in that, in that movie really. So uh, yeah. Um, So yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah. Set in the fifties and that may contribute to why it felt, like this old classic movie to me, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause just thinking about that, that's, I would, I would not consider Thor an old movie and that's <laughs> how I viewed it back then. But you know, I get, I think that's also comes with growing up and when you're a kid, eight, eight years before then was a long time ago. Cause that was more than half of my life ago, you know? So. Some movies, um, some movies also have a timeless quality to them. Yes. Especially when I agree. Set in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this one in particular, and I, and I'll, and I'll get into that in, in just a second about why I think this movie is, has that timeless quality and, and why it spoke to me because, okay, so I'm watching this movie with, with my uncle and um, the thing that, the thing that I think spoke to me most was it was the first movie that had ever told me I was allowed to think for myself which seems like a weird concept now, Not the but children. no one had ever told me that, you know? Like, I had always thought for myself, but it was the first time that anybody had ever said, what do you want to do? Do that. <laughs> and I think that, at, at 13 years old, was just an eye-opening revelation. Um, kids need to be taught that. They need to see that they can think for themselves. Uh, it's, right. It's always um, part of growing up is learning to that you're allowed to be your own person right and you know and i think as as you're you know a a younger kid you know it makes sense um you know that you do what your mom tells you your your parents are are what you're looking to to know how to act or the people around you are who you are looking to to know how do i act what do i do How, how do i um how do I uh, live in this world? They teach you how to be a person in the world. Um, but then there comes a point when, and I, that's why, that's why I think this movie was, you know, touched me so much. because I found it at the exact right time. I'm 13 years old. Suddenly someone says, you are allowed to think whatever you want and do whatever you want. And not in a way that's like, uh, and not in an anarchy way, not in a, let's burn down this, you know, the house just on a whim. It's more of a, it was more of a, you don't have to, just because everyone else is doing something, you don't have to do it that way. You can think about something the way you want to think about it. And at 13, 
it was it was a revelation. It was it was a brand new concept to me, and I I guarantee I know that that is why it 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 resonated so much with me. And you know, speaking to the timeless nature of it that you were saying, mm-hmm. they did something brilliant in the at the beginning of that movie because you know they do a bit of setup and world building with the, at the beginning with showing the kids and then school and this is the new kid and you know, quickly going through what each type of kid is there. And they, they did that, I thought, brilliantly. Um, and then immediately get into the classroom with Mr. Ke- and as soon as you're in the classroom with Mr. Keating, he starts he starts uh, teaching this lesson. And first thing he does is takes them to the wall with the really old people who are dead now and says, they're just like you. And when they when he said that, it's like, yes, they're just like me. I can, I, so much separates me from those kids. I was a poor kid. I, my, my dad wasn't around. Uh, You know, I did not have a lot of the advantages that they have. I cannot understand the life in a prep school. You know, I, public school was, was, was where I went and I did not do very well. So it's like, I can't understand this. I, their reality where they live, but there are so many things that we are just alike that they put me in that, in, in that role saying they are just like you. And that was that, I think that was also a brilliant thing they did, which was to make me understand that what there's, what Mr. Keating is teaching is for me also. Yeah. I think that that is, that is, I I love um, hearing stories of how movies affect people and relate to people so thank you for that yeah um robin williams has this hang on where were we um you mentioned robin williams oh yeah so robin williams plays the um plays the character of the mentor figure very well he's always um played that and I don't know when that started. Maybe it started with this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I went thinking back. I can't before that. It seemed like he was he was always kind of the zany guy. I mean, even in I almost look at um, Good in the Morning Vietnam as as kind of the precursor to this movie because it was it was a similar character and it, like I said before, a similar uh, tone in terms of or at least uh, framework in terms of in terms of uh, who, what, what kind of a person he was. But in that movie, he kind of learned things. And in this one, he's the one teaching. So I, I think this is kind of where that started. I, I think you could trace Goodwill Hunting back to this role. You know, I think, I think they're very similar. And I, I don't know that we get Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting without what, what he did in this movie. I um, saw this movie... Uh, two days ago when you were like, when you wanted to talk about it. And I'm so glad that I started this podcast. I'm so glad that you recommended this movie because there's just, Oh yeah. I'm blind oh. to uh, movies that I haven't seen and I know I should have. So the fact that I got to experience this movie for the first time, like two days ago is fantastic. Right. Well, I'm glad that I, like I said, I recommend this to a lot of people and it's, they always come back and, you know, regardless of the, oh, it's kind of like this. They always come back with the being like, that was a great movie like that. It always touches people, which I, which I love about that movie. Even me, I've seen it a hundred times. I watch it. I, I uh, watched it not long ago. And, um, even then I kind of got some things out of it that I, or even realized things that I had taken from it that I didn't realize I had taken from it. It's, it's, and that's what I love in a movie. I love a movie where you can go back and watch it at any age and go, okay, I, I, this, this is for me at this moment. And that's what this movie has always been to me. People connect to movies uh, for specific parts of their life. You yeah. Um, you brought up your family a lot, and uh, this feels like a family movie, like a family would connect to it, or you'd learn to connect with your family based on this sort of character. Well, yeah, it's um, 
it's it's funny that you say that because there are aspects of it that that I, I I agree with you there. There's some of it that's almost cautionary to a uh, cautionary tale to me. Um, for instance, Kurtwood Smith plays um, uh, Dr. Wilson's dad. I forget his name. Yeah, uh, Neil yeah, plays yeah. Neil's dad. He is he is astounding in this role. I love I, I love him in just about everything. It's kind of a shame to me that at least here in America, I don't know uh, the rest of the world. He's mostly known as Red from that '70s show. Um, I think and, if you have a role that's super iconic, that's pretty okay. Robin Williams yeah. said that um, when he won the Oscar for I think it was Good Will Hunting for like yeah. a week, everyone was like, "Oh, you won the Oscar! Good job! Good job!" And then after that, it's like, "Hey, more!" Yeah, well, and that's true, and and you know. For me, his role in, uh, as Red in that '70s show would probably rank number three as far as where where I remember him from. For me, it's always this movie first, but that's obvious. It's my favorite movie. Yeah. Followed by, followed by his brilliant villain in RoboCop. He is so good in RoboCop. Such a like, bastard. I know. He's honestly my favorite part of that movie, and I love that movie. That's um, I, I <laughs> I've heard other people say it on uh, Screen Junkies stuff like that, like. I they they call it a perfect movie. I think it is a near perfect movie. I think there's I think I think it is such a good movie. He is my absolute favorite part of of uh, RoboCop. Um, but he anyway he is so good in uh, in this movie in, in Dead Poets Society. He plays just that he plays that guy so much. And, and if you've ever seen interviews of him, that's not him. Like he's really a nice like loving guy. It's just he's such a great actor, and he he plays that role so well. Um, that um, so that version of a dad, uh, you know, as as I've alluded to here, you know, my dad wasn't around. He he, I knew him, and I would spend you know summers with him sometimes or a holiday with him, but it he wasn't around, and so like I I couldn't connect with the father portion of it so much. And especially like one who was overbearing because mine was the opposite of that because he wasn't around. Um, but, and, and uh, this is kind of going to be a spoiler for the end of the movie. So if anybody hasn't seen it, go watch it and then come back. But um, the, uh, so, you know, as I said, at 13, I connected with so much of this movie, but there was a portion of it that I didn't, that I was going to become infinite, uh, intimately familiar with later, which was, the whole suicide port. Yeah, that I, there, that was rough. That was rough, and and you know I've been through some dark times in my life. A few years after I saw this movie, I went through some pretty dark stuff. But it, it's funny because I I always knew I I'd always knew that this was true. But when I was watching it a while, most recently, I realized it, it kind of I guess it came back to me that. Um, when I would ever have any of those dark thoughts like that, I would always remember him holding his son, screaming, my son, my son, and the mom coming in bawling. And I could never do that to my mom. <laughs> and like that, it's so weird how, 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 like I said, this movie affected me in so many ways, even to that point where I don't want to say it saved my life, but it definitely, it definitely created a situation wherein, I wasn't going to ever take that step no matter how much I wanted to because of how it would affect my mom and specifically remembering that scene. It's, oh, that scene also shows that they knew what they were doing with him as the antagonist. Because yes. even though he's, uh, he goes against uh, Robin Williams, uh, Robin Williams' character also... Uh, tells Wilson, which I'm going to call him, even though I know his name now, um, <laughs> he tells Wilson not to, uh, to talk to his dad. So he at yeah. no point wants him to go against his, um, his dad. He just believes in the inherent goodness of, right. of what they're doing. And the scene, I saw the scene when they were standing on the tables when they were um, when when they were staying on the tables, I saw that scene out of context. Um, it was right. Just, well, after 
after Robin Williams died, that scene went around a lot. But I thought that it was like, I didn't get any context for it. And I thought it was super cheesy and dumb. Because uh, uh-huh. it felt like those other ones where it's like, he does the big speech and um, everyone's just like that. Uh, but in context with everything that happened, um, it's, it's so good. And yes. that scene within context just makes it so much better. Right. And it, it, it's, it's a brilliant callback to the scene before where with the, with the uh, standing on the desk, seeing something from a new perspective, because that, that scene where at the end where they're all standing on their desk has, I think a two full purpose. Number one, they are, they are showing them here or showing him their allegiance. They're saying, you know, they're, they're, they're saluting him one last time, but also um, it's, it's almost the, the culmination of all of his lessons is that point. They, they're all bold. They take a, they take a, they take a risk. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, or at least what everyone says they're supposed to do. They're seeing everything from a new perspective. It's a culmination of everything he's ever taught them. And, uh, it's, it's like, it's a gesture. It's a brilliant gesture where they're saying, this is what you've done to us. Even if it's just some silly thing where we're just standing on a desk, it's, this is, this is what you mean to us. And this is what you've taught us. I, I, th- I think it's, I like, um, when he's telling them to stand on the desk to get a new perspective. Um, I like how that he said, don't just walk off the desk, like a bunch of lemmings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I uh, yeah I I I like that scene a lot. I I also like uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I was just reminded of it. Um, is the part where he's trying to get um, Ethan Hawke's character um, to uh, write a poem, and he covers his eyes, and and Ethan Hawke is just spouting what he what he. Uh, just what's coming into his mind, and it's it's brilliant, it's beautiful. Um, and uh, side note, I I've written poetry most of my life, especially since I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure I don't know if it's good or not, but again, it doesn't matter. That's the thing the movie it, teaches. It does not matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but I love it, and that's that's what it is. But that's kind of how my poetry. Um, that's that's how I write my poetry. It's generally almost a stream of consciousness. If I have to think about if I have to think about it for too long, then it's really not satisfying to me. Like, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be overproduced. I want it to be, this is how I'm feeling at this moment. And this is how it's coming out. Um, and I realized um, one of the times I was watching it, I was like, that's what's happening here. Maybe I don't know if that's where I got this from, but I love that scene. My favorite part of that scene is, is when um, is when he says, what do you see? He says, a madman. He says, what kind of madman? He says, a sweaty-toothed madman. And he goes, oh, boy, there's, there's a poet in you. <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I, I love that because he's like, he's almost taken aback by, by this idea of a sweaty-toothed madman. Uh, yeah. Do you think he was talking about Robin Williams when he called, <laughs> said, I see a sweaty-toothed madman? Uh, you know, I, I've thought about that before because the idea is that he's talking about Walt Whitman but his frustrations at that moment are with are with Mr. Keating. So I think that I think that that is an astute observation that like he may even though, you know, he tells him to describe the picture of Walt, he's actually he's actually describing not only Robin Williams but what Robin Williams is making him do that discomfort he's feeling at that moment. Um yeah, I think I think I think so. I don't know if that's the intention, but that's definitely the how I feel it comes out. It works so well either way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the one other thing that I was reminded of when I was watching this is: Have you ever seen a show called uh, "Are You Afraid of the Dark"? Oh yeah, from like yeah, with the it's kind of like Twilight Zone, but for children's. Yeah, right. It's a group of yeah. kids sitting around a campfire in the middle of the night telling stories. Right, and every time that scene happened in Dead Poet Society, uh, <laughs> where they call the meeting to order and they tell each other poems, I'm like, ha! <laughs> it's like that show. Well, that that is, it's funny. That is what that felt like. You know, I mentioned it earlier that like, um, 
the actual meetings are such a minuscule portion of what that of of the movie because it's not really about the dead poet society itself it's about what they're taught but like even every one of those meetings isn't it isn't treated with the reverence that you know that mr keating had said it was and it wasn't any of that and it all it, a lot of it was very childish and that's because they were children and they were learning to be something different that one thing I find always, I always find uh, interesting and, and uh, one of my viewings I noticed, I noticed this is that Nawanda, I think it's Dalton, I think is his name, Charlie Dalton, I think, uh, Nawanda, the, the, the badass, the, the radical guy. He um, calls himself Nawanda. And he calls himself Nawanda. Um, he is the, um, he is the first one to get it and to embrace the lifestyle and while he i don't think he does it for the for the necessarily the reasons that he, uh, one would want he's really doing it because it's like wait a minute i get to act like a jackass and it's fine like that's really his reason but he embraces it before anyone else and which i think is is interesting because he's the he is the one in that in in that group that actually is punished if you don't count you know the suicide the one who actually dies but he's the one who actually, uh, it, you know, has has a life-altering issue, like, the, at the end, which is he gets expelled from school because of, because he's taken, because he's so into this free thought idea. Um, and when he goes back to Robin Williams and he's like, did you like the stunt with the newspaper? And Robin's like, no. There's a difference between be free, being free thinking and being stupid. Yes, I, I, I love. Yes, I love that scene because yeah, he says he says that's not daring, that's stupid. Yeah, that's <laughs> but what. yeah, I love that scene because because uh, he's so proud of himself and he's he's obviously doing it mostly for himself, but he also wants to impress Mr. Keating, this 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 man who is who has. Uh, who has had such an impact in his life in such a short amount of time. Um, I love that scene because it's, it's not only does it, it kind of, it kind of serves to like the scene you said before, where he tells Neil to go talk to his dad. This also serves to kind of absolve Mr. Keating say, you know, he's not just being reckless. He's also, he's also trying to teach teach them how to be responsible with this, new idea which i love that but i love the end of that scene when he says phone call from god if it had been collect that would have been daring <laughs> I, I, I i love that because he he made his point but then he um <laughs> but then he he had that little tag i love i love that um which actually brings me to if you don't mind it brings me to um another point which is we were talking about robin williams I'm not sure there's any other actor who could have done this role the way time. he, like, I don't think he could have done, I don't think anybody else could have done this because he's, I mean, he's always shown, he's a very comedic, very funny guy. He also can do drama really well. And I think this movie perfectly balances that in a way that I don't think anybody else could. I would love to see the alternate reality version where you're Daniel Day-Lewis or you're uh, Jim Carrey tried to do this but they just oh. i don't think any of them would be able would, would they they wouldn't be able to pull, pull out such a jim carrey wouldn't be able to pull out such an earnest portrayal i think he's done great dramas and he's done great in those Lewis, roles daniel Dallas couldn't play the comedic side of it uh, you're right he could not have done that quite as well i think he could be charming and i think he could have i think he could have made i think he could have been in a great serviceable version of this movie that probably could have won him an oscar but I don't, it would not have been, I don't think it would have had the same impact that, that uh, Robin Williams has this role. I don't think there's anybody who could have done it the way Robin Williams did it. Robin which, Williams is one of a kind. He is. Um, my favorite Robin movie was uh, One Hour Photo. I love that movie. My friends and I were just talking about that the other day. It doesn't get enough credit, that movie. Um, it's, it's uh, and, and I think it's because it was, it was his first, like, no comedy movie that he had done, at least in that time frame. And, man, that movie is... I, I love that movie. 
it goes against his image really well yes. and shows that um, comedic actors can play drama. And especially yeah. since he was dealing with a bunch of dark stuff himself, he could have tapped into that. Oh, yeah. Um, so on. Oh, yeah. My favorite story about Robin Williams. Um, I, I forget what it was. Maybe it was Saving Private Ryan. It was a Spielberg movie. I think it was Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it, it, they, it, it, was Schindler, it was Schindler's List. Schindler's List, thank you. So yes. Schind, uh, with Schindler's List, it's all sad and tragic and dark. And um, what Spielberg would do was he'd call, uh, he'd call Robin Williams and uh, get him to tell, him, tell them jokes to cheer them up yeah. in between takes or at the end of the day or something, which yeah. is so great. <laughs> that is great. It, it's, it, it, he was, you're absolutely right. He was one of a kind. His, um, the fact that, you know, his legacy lies beyond the movies he made, the, um, you know, the, the his stand-up comedy, uh, the TV shows, it lies beyond that because he was a source of light for people that he knew in real life. And I think that that is incredible. I, I can only hope that I can be the source of light for someone, you know, like the way he was the source of light for so many. It was um, Robin Williams, Mr. Rogers. Uh, yeah. Very few people are just known as being super nice to literally everyone. Right. Have you seen that Mr. Rogers documentary? I have. I thought it was, I thought it was incredible. That's a fucking great documentary. Um, it is. I, it taught me so much about him and I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's another one where it was, you know, you grow up in, uh, you know, I was, I grew up in the right time for, I mean, he was obviously on well, well before I was born, but you know, I grew up in a time when it was, he was all like you, you, you could see reruns of his stuff. You could see new stuff. It was, he was, everywhere at that time and so it was it's it, it he's it's almost he's an unsung hero that's why i'm glad this movie exists because like i don't know that he gets before this he got i don't think he got the credit he deserved for for uh what he did for the children of the world you know um which that's why i think that movie that that documentary is so important the, the my the most interesting part about that was that one? He had the thing where he went against segregation publicly yes. for children uh, with the kiddie pool. It's fucking great. Uh, yeah. Two, uh, and this is he was so important to American culture for children and adults now that uh, when nine eleven happened, they made they had him come on TV for a special that he did and I haven't seen it and I want to see it yeah but like oh, he's so good yeah he's a special dude where the world is lucky to have had him him and Rob Williams you're right they're they're both they both are light in the world that I think the world needed and uh we're lucky to have had them it, it it's so good and I and even in Robin Williams bad movies okay. um it's still Robin Williams. You give him a price. Right. His That's last, true. His last movie was, it was either Night at the Museum or it was um, another one, which is terrible. So I want to talk about Night at the Museum. Okay. Uh, in Night at the Museum, he plays Teddy Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And it's a dumb movie. Uh, it's fine. If, if uh, you have eight-year-old kids, they'll like it and you won't hate yourself for watching it. <laughs> um, but the the scene at the very end is Robin Williams as Teddy Roosevelt saying goodbye to everyone uh, because some bullshit magic happens so like the magic's going to go away forever doesn't matter he's saying goodbye to everyone and and I heard stories of people grown ass adults crying at this dumbass movie because it's Robin <laughs> Williams saying goodbye to everyone yeah it's, oh, I didn't see it in cinemas because obviously, but <laughs> I, to be in a crowd of just crying adults, it's, it would have been one hell of an impact. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, my kids really like that movie. I haven't seen it, but now that you mentioned that, I think I might have to. I, I really liked the first Night at the Museum movie when I saw I saw that in theater. And it was not great, but I enjoyed it. The first Night at the Museum does that thing where it's a comedy, but we still need comic relief for the comedy. But because it's yeah. already a comedy, the comic relief is uh, dumber. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, uh, but the the my favorite character is Robin Williams as Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. My favorite character, but my favorite side characters are uh, the two, the Roman guy and the cowboy, and how they're always fighting each other. Oh yeah, that's uh, Owen Wilson and who is it? Steve Coogan. Uh, Steve Carell? No, not Steve, Steve Carell. Steve Steve Coogan. Steve, I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The, the first one is fine. But the, yeah. the other two aren't. I, I really, <laughs> I'm really glad that I watched Dead Poets Society. Um, and I, I, I want to watch um, Good Will Hunting now. I still haven't seen that. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Um, so I'll watch, watch that. that. I'll watch that and it'll be, it, it'll be fun. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm glad. I, I always take a, take a chance to talk about this movie or any movies. So um, if you if you ever need someone to come on and watch, talk about their second favorite movie, <laughs> I'm your guy. Uh, I'll have that as a sequel. I'm going to have all the people, <laughs> and then when I bring you on, it'll be second favorite until we get down the list. <laughs> <laughs> right on. It'll be fun. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Aussie Nerd Pod on Twitter. Subscribe to this um, podcast feed. We have episodes every Thursday, and you can like my Facebook page, uh, Aussie Nerd on Facebook. I'm really good at branding. <laughs> and um, I will see you next week. Links are going to be in the description. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to promote? Uh, no, not really. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, Mattman, X-I-I-I, M-A-T-T-M-A-N-X-I-I-I. Uh, it's mostly just me interacting with people I watch on YouTube and uh, silly jokes that I don't think my Facebook fam friends care about. That's pretty much it. Sounds like fun. Okay. Well, until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.